Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Federalist Files. On today's show, reactions from the Derek Chauvin trial verdict, the Micaiah Bryant shooting, AOC praises Biden's progressive agenda, and Biden's radical capital gains tax proposal. Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice, for being there to call out to your mom. How, how heartbreaking was that? Call out for your mom. I can't breathe. But because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous with justice. Hello, folks. Another episode, another installment of the Federalist Files Weekend Special. That is Nancy Pelosi uh, right after the Chauvin verdict in the trial. She looks up to her God in the sky, her Jesus Lord and Savior, George Floyd in the sky, and she says, thank you, George Floyd. Literally, that is what she does. So we have now gotten to this point where politics has become kind of this weird cultural slash slash religious phenomenon, um, and this is all for show for Nancy Pelosi. You can tell it's it's very inauthentic when she says, "Oh, isn't it so sad?" When she was when he was yelling to his mother, and she looks around. It's it's all a big uh, act, a big show for an eighty year old woman, uh, and it's obvious that that it's a big show uh, for anybody that's really paying attention. In this case, like I said, we've we've memorialized, we've commemorated. George Floyd, this guy that was a career criminal, and this does not, I'm not justifying his death, but I'm just saying we are, we are looking, our culture, our media, our politicians on the Democrat Party side, they are canonizing him as a figure of, of, of good, a figure almost like a godlike, a Jesus-like figure where he died for his sins on the cross, and, and she looks up to begin with. Let's be realistic here. George Floyd, she's not going to be looking up to see George Floyd. She's going to be looking down to see him. He was a career criminal. And this is what I always wonder, how the media kind of extols and exalts these characters. What I wonder is, how is it the woman that he broke into her house at gunpoint and put a gun to her stomach right in front of her infant child, um, the victim of his very, I guess his last major crime, considering he just has a long string of crimes, how, how must she feel every single time she turns on the television and you see a canonization of, uh, of the perpetrator of, of the crime against you? So this next, I'm going to have all these clips. This is a heavy clip show. I'm going to go over the Micaiah uh, Bryant shooting over in Columbus, Ohio as well, which happened the day of the Chauvin verdict. There actually really has been... It's been very slow on the news front. This has pretty much taken over the news cycle. This this idea of uh, police brutality, systematic racism, you know, the regular buzzwords of the Democrat Party that they use to attempt to impugn the character of everyone that disagrees with them. So we have 10, ten minutes. It's a legitimately 10 minutes after Judge Cahill tells officials not to get involved. 
uh, in this Chauvin case, and, and this was to go off of last episode with Maxine Waters, you have the mayor of Minneapolis talk about the case. Uh, play five. As we await the verdict, there are several inescapable truths. Over this last year, our Twin Cities have experienced a barrage of trauma, all culminating with this trial and then the verdict. There's been pain and anguish, anger and frustration that is undoubtedly acutely felt by our black and brown communities. Regardless of the outcome of this trial, regardless of the decision made by the jury, there is one true reality, which is that George Floyd was killed at the hands of police. So what you have is you have the mayor over in Minneapolis. I can't even remember his name. I wish I could remember his name. I think it's something like, I'm trying to look at the clip specifically, but I'm not going to be able to find it. He is unequivocally saying that the police pretty much murdered uh, George Floyd before the case has even been determined. And once again, folks, this is going to probably be a case, there's probably a very good case for a mistrial because of other branches of government getting involved in the case. The fact that the fact that the court was not, or rather the jury was not sequestered, one thing, meaning that between uh, days or cases or whatever, they're kept in a, they're kept away from the media, they're kept away from televisions, the news, so they don't really know what's going on in the outside world, so it cannot influence them and influence their opinion in a negative way or, or one way or the other. Um... That was not done in this case. The case was also still carried out in Minneapolis, which it shouldn't have. It should have been sent to another completely different state because you have a courtroom where they're sitting there making their decision. They're making their um, their verdict after the 10 hours of deliberation, which actually is considered a short time, a short duration. So as soon as they came to their conclusion, 10 hours of deliberation, people kind of had an idea that this was going to be guilty on all counts because of that. And it's political pressure. When you have politicians coming out and saying things to begin with, you have the Maxine Waters case, and now you have the mayor of Minneapolis himself saying it as well. This is inciting crowds. There are crowds outside of the Minneapolis uh, court office or courtroom. So we're talking about in Minneapolis, we're talking about police that were unable to defend a precinct in Minneapolis. You think they're going to be able to defend the jurors? And that's really, in this case, that's why it should have been extradited, should have been sent somewhere else, as well as they should have sequestered the jury. And then additionally, as they were starting the trial, you had a payout from the city of Minneapolis to the Floyd family as well, which these are all things that interfere or sow doubt in the defense's case automatically. Um, it, it's just not considered, it's so, it's so against the norms in case law historically in this country. So you have this case, you have this verdict that comes out, whether you agree with it or not. They keep saying the word justice, justice, justice. They utter the word over and over again. Uh, it's kind of like a buzzword, some sort of focus group tested term or phrase. You you go on and you turn on some of these liberal news outlets and no one, it seems, and from tweets as well, from Twitter, if you're in the Twitter world on the, on the far left, if you're watching, no one seems to be happy. They're not satiated at this point. There is no appeasement uh, to the to the left, and that's because these are cultural Marxists. They continue to push the goalpost. They will never actually admit to winning. They will just further and further push the goalpost, take more and more away from you. That that is the reason, 
And when I say cultural Marxists, people kind of probably get confused. Cultural Marxism, cultural uh, communism, it is the idea is the distribution of blame in the system. So you say, okay, well, we believe that on the left, we believe that there is systematic racism. We believe that police brutality is a problem. And if you disagree, then you are the problem. So you automatically cast that blame and that doubt in the institution. And then you pass it along to everyone else in society as well. They all are part of the blame. And, and that, in essence, should make them it should compel them to take actions to agree with you. And it's it's a tactic that they use. The tactic is, it is your fault uh, for the system. You're complicit in the system because you're a part of the system. Or you you don't feel the need to walk around with a BLM shirt or, or walk around at a protest or riot with a sign saying BLM. So we have Jason Johnson. He says himself he's not satisfied. I think he's on, I want to say he's on CNN with... Uh, with Jake Tapper, I'm trying to think here if that's where he is. If he's on, no, I'm, I'm sorry, MSNBC, play seven. Like I said, I, I actually always thought that he would be found guilty because it's sort of a cultural makeup call. But I'm not happy. I'm not pleased. I don't have any sense of satisfaction. I don't think this is a system working. I don't think this is a good thing. What this says to me is that in order to get a nominal degree of justice in this country, that a black man has to be murdered on air, viewed by the entire world, there have to be a year's worth of protests and a phalanx of other white police officers to tell one white officer that he was wrong in order to get one scintilla of justice. That doesn't make me feel happy. That doesn't make me feel satisfied. It makes me worry about what's going to happen when these other officers are held on trial. Oh, this has not only been said on, on MSNBC, I've been seeing this over Twitter, I've been seeing this over Facebook, I've been seeing people stating this. What, what their response is, is okay, you got the verdict that you wanted, but the problem is with them, and with in this case with, uh, I think, what's his name, Jason Johnson? His problem is the fact that there was even a trial. That the, the fact that there had to be a trial and there was a due process and they didn't just take Derek Chauvin out back uh, and just shoot him in the head, put one in his skull. That's really what they want. They want to, they, they're complaining about the system of justice, the system of due process, being able to go through a court system. He's angry because now this is going to be something that's done in the Breonna Taylor case, which I don't think it's going to even be done in that case. I think they didn't even press charges on, on, those, uh, on those cops involved in that one. And then which, what are the other ones? The, the Michaela Bryant, all these, the, these new ones that are going to be coming out. He's worried because there's these people are actually going to be given due process through the law, through the Fourth Amendment, uh, through the Fourteenth Amendment as well. And that's a problem for the left because they want an abolishment of your due process. They want to be able to say and just follow whatever the media says, whatever the Democrat Party says, and you automatically, by default, are guilty of whatever they say. They want a system where you are guilty until proven innocent rather than innocent until proven guilty. That's what they're trying to create because when they control the government power and the government apparatus, they can automatically assign to you a, a, a automatic guilty. And when they have the media running the water for them, they can assign doubt and they could say, oh, well, this guy probably... People will go in there with their own personal biases into the trial 
um, or they will be once again afraid of the mob. Right now, what the the Democrat Party is kind of doing is they're mobilizing the mob and they're using the mob as an enforcement of what they want, their will themselves. Like I said, they just continue to push the pin further, or the needle rather, further and further. Take more and more away from you, cast doubt in the system, and then blame you for the system to attempt to force you and compel you to do something by oppressive means, whether it's through culture, it's through personal interactions, it's through your job. They want to get you fired from your job if you don't agree with them. And we need to all collectively, as a, whether you want to call conservatives, liberals, as, as reasonable people, we all need to collectively stand up to this kind of stuff and we need to speak out uh, when it is necessary in, in, in these cases. It is okay to have a dissenting opinion or an objection to what is considered the mainstream or the corporate media's uh, narrative. And they want to make that narrative... They want to turn it into reality because there's reality and then there's the media's narrative right now. And the media's narrative is just not true. It is erroneous. It is fallacious. And like I said in the last podcast I had, Candace Owens, she has her response. She goes on Tucker Carlson. She talks about it a little bit. I have a very short clip from that. And she does actually allude to the media's malpractice and how much power they have on the opinions of... uh, of the citizens of this country plate mob justice and and that's really what happened with this entire trial this was not a trial about george floyd or derek chauvin this was a trial about whether the media uh was powerful enough to create a simulation and decide upon a narrative absent any facts whether it was powerful enough to repeat showing and talking about a nine minute clip that came from somebody's cell phone without adding any context without showing the full you know the full police video which they could have released they refused to release the full body cam which would have added more clarity um to the fact that the media was lying you know the media came out let's not forget this tucker the media came out and told us that this was a man who was just getting his life together he was a good you know good member of society and he got mixed up because a racist white police officer had it out for him and and killed him all of that fell apart all the facts came out and all of that fell apart we now know of course that he had enough fentanyl in him it was three times the lethal dosage three times lethal dosage in him when he died but nobody cares because the media was successful and putting out a narrative and they kept hitting that narrative and the reason why the democrats are happy is because they realize of course the media supports them and now means the democrats can get whatever they want because they can create a narrative and then they can treat people like pawns and get them to basically say if we don't get what we want we will riot, we will loot, we will send these people out like soldiers to destroy your neighborhoods. And that is exactly what has happened. That has been the determination of this trial. The media and the Democrats now have enough power to bully, to bully and to lie to and to create propaganda. So in that case, she's absolutely correct. We had the media holding the George Floyd footage. The only footage that we saw was the nine minutes of Chauvin's, which, which seemed like Chauvin's knee on his neck. And then we found from another angle, it was actually a knee on the back of uh, George Floyd, and then we also found, once again, 98% um, blood oxygen level in his autopsy report, three times the lethal dose of uh, fentanyl in his system as well. He also had some pre-existing conditions. He had, not only did he have fentanyl in his system, he also had methamphetamine in his system as well, and he also had a pre-existing condition of, uh, I guess, heart disease, you would call it. He had some issues with his heart, which all caused, this could have caused and led to his death as well. Um, once again, the idea of a verdict of guilty has to be beyond a reasonable doubt of guilt. 
and you can you can sit there and fight all day about the um about the manslaughter charge but in terms of the murder charge it is it does not meet the bounds of of a second degree or a third degree murder in this case no matter what i i just do not you cannot explain to me logically or reasonably with the evidence that it it justifies that so this next case now we have the makia uh, or makaya Bryant shooting, foxnews.com. I'm going to have an article up. I'm not really going to, I'm just going to go over my own little synopsis of the event. Columbus, Ohio, the day of the Chauvin case, you had, we don't exactly know at this point who called the cops. Apparently they're saying it was her, and then some people, the sources are saying it was not her. Um, call cops, cops show up to the scene. Okay, cop witnesses and sees a woman attempting to stab other women with a knife. Uh, at this time, I mean, the girl ends up being, I think, 16 years old. But when you show up to a scene as an officer, you're not aware, especially this girl. This, she's pretty burly. She's big. She's, she's a big chick. Not from, not not in a sense of uh, horizontally, but also vertically as well. She's a big girl. Uh, you could think that she's, she's a woman. It doesn't really matter in this case whether it's a child or not, in all honesty. It is the deadliness of the scenario that is partaking in front of the officer. So the officer goes to fire at... Uh, at Micaiah Bryant in the midst of her, in the middle of her pulling back to stab somebody else. So I'm going to play the clip and then viewer discretion advised, of course. I'm going to play the clip and then I'm going to go through next a slow-mo freeze frame as well. Um, play nine. So you have the officer arrive at the scene. It's complete chaos. You have people pushing each other, whatever. What he says, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on. He sees the girl has a knife. She pushes a girl in a uh, pink, I guess like a pink sweatsuit up against the car. She pins her and she goes to pull back, pull back for the stab. And he pulls his firearm and he fires uh, to suppress the target. Now what the media is trying to sell here is that she didn't have a knife. At first, the media said the knife was on the ground the entire time, where that is not the truth. So I'm going to go through next a freeze frame. Uh, if you are watching, if you're listening on podcasts, you can watch on Rumble. I'm going to be about, you know, 18 and a half minutes in, 19 minutes in. Uh, play one. So from that from that footage there, you can see as she's pulling back is when she gets fired at from the officer. I also have a photo up, as you can see up on the screen as well, that is um, right there. That freeze frame clip is legit probably, a, you know, a millisecond is from when the officer goes to fire. So the officer was prepared for this. The officer saved someone's life. The media is covering this completely differently. I have a clip from CNN. You have Cornell William Brooks uh, talk about. I, I think she calls he calls this a schoolyard fight. Uh, play two. Within minutes, uh, pulling out his gun and and firing four bullets uh, into a teenager's body. 
uh, it is a right thing to ask that question. So in other words, not everything that you're permitted to do is something that you should, in fact, do. And the question we have to ask ourselves, what if it were your daughter? What if it were your child? What if it were a member of your family, your neighbor, uh, in a uh, essentially a, a teenage fight, a schoolyard fight? Uh, certainly the facts will emerge, but we are right to ask, why can't we put the accent on life? Yeah. children's lives as opposed to simply assuming uh the best we can do is simply kill another child so so his statement is extremely disingenuous and let me just put it in a perspective of the democrats and the, and the liberals they always use these leftists these these emotional arguments they don't actually use factual arguments because they know their ideas suck and under factual evidence and a data synopsis they know that their that their policies are terrible so what he says is, imagine if it was your child, if it was uh, your family member. Yeah, but you can put that shoe on the other foot. You could say, imagine if your family member or your child is that girl in the pink sweatsuit that's about to get stabbed. You can use the exact same argument against that argument. And really, at the end of the day, if it's your kid, no, obviously you don't want your kid being shot and killed by by uh, you know police at the scene. But... You have to also ask yourself, what in the heck is going on that this girl has a... And this isn't like a small knife. This is like a butcher knife. Why is she carrying a butcher knife running around? And you know this is a disaster too. Because when you watch the very first clip I showed, you had a woman get pushed to the ground. Then you had a man kind of turn over and like kick her. And that was a woman that was on the ground that was completely separate from, from what happened with the cops. So the cops showing up. He's seeing people beating each other up. He's going, what the heck is going on? And then he sees the direct threat of a girl with a knife pulling back to stab another girl and he pulls his firearm and he um and he discharges his weapon and he suppresses the target and this is this is seen as like this is seen as such a huge problem from the left and the left does this when i say they push the needle this is another case in another scenario of them doing that this is a quintessential example you you notice that the left doesn't usually pick the scenarios that everyone agrees on the uh, consensus ones there was a man a black man shot while fleeing police in south carolina a couple of years back shot and then the officer puts a gun right next to him and tries to frame him on it luckily there was some sort of footage there was um i think it was like a dash cam caught him doing this that officer went to pre went to prison for a pretty long time i think the rest of his life now that one everybody agrees on right but they choose these fringe like scenarios that there is no agreement and there is uh, no consensus on. They purposely do this because now this affords them the ability to continue to push the needle and get you to think deliberately a certain way just like them. So I have another I have another clip as well. So these I have Juan Williams. Uh he's on Fox. These people, these these lefties, these liberals, they have no clue the way a firearm works they have no idea how violence works they don't understand how suppressing somebody works handling somebody else's body trying to uh suppress someone just the idea of taking out the target taking out the threat they've really never been actually confronted with these real life scenarios themselves it, it's legitimately it's like people that have have no real life um experience of anything like this, any type of tumultuous situation. So I have Juan Williams on the five on Fox, uh, play three. What does Juan Williams officer, Juan Williams do to save the lady's life in pink? 
Well, I guess I would shoot the gun, not necessarily at somebody, but maybe shoot the gun and maybe, you know, run at the person and try to disarm them. I, I don't know. I mean, so wait, 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 you would shoot the gun life, in the air like a warning shot? Not well, hopefully to distract or to try to stall or something so I could oh. get or my partner oh. could get the, the knife away. I see is what I was. Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, the incoherent babbling from Juan Williams saying he would fire the gun up in the air. So his to try to attempt to distract, um, I don't know. I don't even know how to confront any of these arguments now at this point because they're so stupid. They just continue to perpetuate stupidity. Um, and then there's, there's next the idea, and I think actually Juan Williams said this the day before, which was even worse, uh, or, or he said it in the same day later. He goes on to ask why you couldn't just shoot them in the leg. So I have this precise question asked to the chief of police over there in Columbus, Ohio, from the media, and here's his answer on it. Play four. The question that a lot of people are asking is, can an officer shoot the leg? Can they shoot somewhere that would not result in a fatal wound, right? So a lot of people have said, couldn't he have just shot her in the leg so she dropped? Could he have shot her in the arm, something like that? Right, you know, one of the, uh, the difficult things with that is um, when you're trying, we, we don't train to shoot the leg because that's a small target. We train to shoot center mass. What is available to stop that threat? There was a threat going on, a deadly force threat that was going on, so the officer is trained to shoot center mass, the, the largest part, part of a body that is available to them. When you try to start shooting legs or arms, uh, rounds miss and then they continue on and there are people behind that that could be in danger that are not committing anything uh, so we try and minimize any danger to anyone else if we have to use our firearm so he answers in this case and cops are cops are taught in training to shoot center mass why why center mass to try to put it in layman's terms if you try to shoot a leg shoot an arm these are things that are very What's the word? There's a lot of dexterity in your fingers, your arms, your legs, everything, even even to an extent your neck. You cannot really move your center mass and such it is considering it takes up such a large part of your actual mass, your body and your surface area. You cannot move it with as hastily as you can one of your arms or your legs. So when you go to fire to discharge the firearm, um, it can take, you know, let's say a couple of milliseconds. In that time being, if you're aiming for someone's leg, to begin with, it is a much smaller surface area. If you're aiming at someone's leg, they could quickly move it before you actually are able to um, to hit it. Additionally, there's femoral arteries. There's arteries that you hit in your leg and even in your arm. You can bleed out from because there's such massive arteries or veins as well. So it doesn't really, the idea, and to begin with, cops are trained to shoot to stop and neutralize the target. They're not shoot when they say, oh, shoot to kill. It's it's shoot to stop and neutralize the target. It is not, you don't shoot to injure somebody um, so they can still get away or so they can still fire off a round at you or they can stab somebody still. If you shoot, shoot someone in the leg and they can still get away with stabbing somebody. In this case, so I just... I mean, that's the media. The media doesn't know what they're talking about. They have no real-life scenarios, and, and they just they really just shoot out conjecture over and over again repeatedly to a point where people end up kind of believing it as the truth. If the narrative is consistently pushed down your throat, then eventually it kind of becomes true in your mind, even if it is factually incorrect. 
So to end on, on, I guess, well, not really to end. There's, I got two more clips. I have Joy Reid on MSNBC. And this is just the idea of, of what the liberals, the lefties, what they think of you in the right side, the conservative class. Just notice what she has to say at the very end uh, in this case. Play five the details of what happened beforehand but i'm bothered that no one is asking what could have scared a 16 year old girl enough that she felt she had to grab a kitchen knife facing two adult women right Come people on. are just decision- no one's asking what would have scared a kid who's in a foster situation so much that she felt that she needed to defend herself or, p- or pick up a knife like no one's asking that about her they're just saying people with this sort of concern trolling pretending they care so much about those other two women and Brittany pointed that on on social media last night do we really think these people are so concerned about those other two black women see this is this is the true this is an example of what they truly think of you, these people, these elitists in the corporate media. They say, oh, all these people, they act like they're so concerned about the other women uh, in the situation, in the scenario. They were so worried about the woman wearing uh, the pink jumpsuit or sweatsuit and then the other woman that was on the ground getting kicked by a guy. I don't know what the heck was going on with that situation there. But their idea of you is you are the white supremacist, you are the racist, you are the bigot, homophobe, istophobic, phobophobe, you are the terrible person, you have no standards, you deserve to be in prison for what you believe. Um, when Ashley Babbitt was shot, we, we praise and we cheer for people getting shot that are on the conservative side or on the right side politically. We, we think that you are subhuman people. You are not even human. Uh, that is the way that they think of us in the corporate media. Oh, like you care about these people. Like you care. They just make assumptions based on their own personal biases. And it's all conjecture with no factual evidence behind it. Thus, the reason why, even in this case with Chauvin, in the courtroom, there was no case being made for Chauvin being a vehement racist. There was zero. That That is in the media, though. That is the case that's being made in the media all the time about anyone when it comes to police, uh, any type of, they say, police infringement or police overuse of force or police brutality, it's always, oh, it's a racial narrative, it always has a racial context to it, and then when it gets into a courtroom, they know categorically that they cannot prove it in a courtroom, so they don't even mention it. So we're living in this alternate reality, and I challenge any of you liberals, if any of you are watching or listening to try to find in the court case all those hours where they're sitting there trying to make a defiant push, trying to prove racism on behalf of Chauvin and a racial bias, bias, bias or a racial motive for his intent because you're not going to be able to find it because it's just not true. You guys just make it up in the media and then you listen to it and you kind of take your marching orders from the Democrats and you do crazy things and you make wild wild assertions on other people and you try to impugn their character because that's because you have no leg to stand on. You have no argument. You are not good at arguing. You do not know the facts. You do not know the issues. Okay. So next what I have Jen Psaki on the Columbus shooting. She, she reads straight off of a pre-written uh, disposition. Disposition. So she doesn't, she makes sure that she cannot screw it up. Um, play 11. 
I said, Shay, yes. And let me, let me just say, since you gave me the opportunity, uh, the killing of 16 year old Michaela Bryant by the Columbus police is tragic. She was a child. We're thinking of her friends and family and the communities that are hurting and grieving her loss. We know that police violence disproportionately impacts uh, black and Latino people in communities and that black women and girls, like black men and boys, experience higher rates of police violence. We also know that there are particular vulnerabilities that children in foster care, care like Micaiah, face. And her death came, as you noted, just as America was hopeful of a step forward after the traumatic and exhausting trial of Derek Chauvin and the verdict that was reached. So our focus is on um, working to address systemic racism and implicit, implicit bias head on, and of course, to passing laws and legislation that will put much needed reforms into place at police departments around the country. There it is again, folks. You have an injection of race politics thrown into this case where there is no leg to stand on, where there is, it is a erroneous principle, it is an erroneous stance to hold that what the officer did in this case had to do with some sort of racial bias. You can say whatever you want, whatever your general worldview is of police, whatever you have to say. In this specific case, it's not true. There, there is nothing that proves there is no type of evidence that the intent to shoot on this officer's behalf was because of some sort of racial motive or racial bias, considering all additionally everyone there was black at the scene, too. Um, it was the threat of one person killing another. So what we had is we had LeBron James have to he made his his comments on Twitter and then he took them down. Let's see if I can find it specifically here. It is <clears throat> his own version of an incitement. It is your next, it states, and then it shows that little hourglass and it says accountability, hashtag accountability. And he also chooses, just it's, it's kind of in poor taste, he chooses like the Paul Blart looking character kind of cop. So this is actually what the cop looks like, apparently the guy that um, fired the shots, I think his name's come out as well, I'm not really going to go into it. Because, you know, the media always likes to release names in, in those cases. But when Ashley Babbitt gets shot and killed, there's there's no name. You still don't know the cop's name. There's been no case. They're not going to press any charges with the DOJ. So, so LeBron James, he's just a hack. He ended up taking this down and then coming out with another stupid tweet. He really is. I'm not sure exactly if he's just a hack and he just does it kind of for the money. I think he does to an extent because he's been completely absent on the uh, inhumane treating of muslims over in over in china so it leads me to believe that he is just a political hack he's a mouthpiece for the democrat party and the far leftists and the communists over in uh, china as well and in america he doesn't believe in anything he has no conviction he has no morals he has no standard he has no standing he also additionally i think he's actually a stupid person i don't think he actually looked into the case i don't think he really read the news much of what actually transpired um, another example, and this is probably one of my favorite gaffe moments from LeBron James. It, you have a reporter ask him, oh, we saw that, you have that Malcolm X book, you've had it in your locker for a couple weeks now, uh, what, what do you think, what does the book say about, about, uh, Malcolm X? Uh, play 12. Uh, Taylor, you want to follow up? Yeah. Um, so you're holding the autobiography of Malcolm X along with Alex Haley. I don't know how far you are into the book, but what's your biggest takeaway so far? Um, I kind of just started a couple of days ago, um, but um, I've read and 
and a lot of a lot of notes over the years. Uh, it's my first time actually reading it from start to finish. Um, but just a very um, very smart man, very 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 smart man, and basically um, his words in the in the sixties and, uh, and what was going on is actually what's going on today still. So LeBron is just very cringeworthy every single time I watch him. I kind of cringe up because I know it's so inauthentic, his approach. He's never read he, – he, at this, this time, he never read the book. So that's why he kind of just like looked at it. He didn't really know what to do with it. He said, um, 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 multiple times between his transitional words and transitional phrases because he doesn't – he actually has no conviction. He didn't read the book. He's not paying attention. He's not an intelligent person. He wants to act like he's a deep intellectual. He's not. He has his little shows that he goes on. He talks. Uh, you know, he's, he's he is seen as a leader, don't get me wrong, in the black community for sure. In our, in our American culture, in a general sense as well, he is considered a leader. And that's why that this is such a disheartening occurrence when he goes out and does things like this. Because it actually does when people say, uh, the media comes out and goes, stoking the flames of division. That's actually what he is doing by, by doing what he did on Twitter. And in all honesty, I think that this officer really should sue him for defamation of character and inciting or, or inciting a mob or something. If there's any type of charge for that, I really do. I highly suggest this officer, not that he would be watching, but he should uh, go ahead with some sort of legal case here and i just remember uh lebron when the chinese communist stuff came out and he just he was silent on that and he'll talk about it here in america and this guy he talks about being oppressed this dude's been rich since he was like 18 years old uh he's not to be really taken seriously and it is very it's sad that you have a guy that made it i'm pretty sure he didn't have a father in the home worked really hard great athlete played really really uh well plays great basketball player maybe one of the best of all time so he's made it. He's a guy that's worked really hard. He's made it. He's done the right things. But his answer to everybody else is, oh, it can't be done by you. You must stay down just like everybody else in our uh, society because I say so. The black community, you guys have no chance because this system is inherently racist. You have no chance. Even though I made it, you can't make it. And I think that as a figure, as a idol, because there's a lot of kids that idolize him. It's just sad. It's It's like pathetic that we have... These people that kids look up to and their answers are just extraordinarily negative. Oh, you have no chance you'll never make it in this society because it's inherently racist and nothing will change. And, and, um, and oh, yeah, this relates to today, talking about Malcolm X and that time. So he's relating times from the 60s and 70s to current day modern times 50 years later. It's just not true. It's erroneous. It's fallacious of an argument. It's just very disappointing coming from him because I've gotten this before where I'll post something and people will tell me that I'm stoking the flames of division. And I go, I have about 2000 people that listen or 2000 followers on rumble. And then as well, I have people on podcasts that listen too. I have like a small Facebook page. <laughs> like you want to talk to, to begin with when I say, when I usually go out on a limb and say something, it is factually correct. It's not something that can be pr disproven. It's usually something that is in unequivocal. Um, and, LeBron James has, I'm sure, millions of people following him, watching him every single day, his every uh, single movement. And I can't even sit here and make the excuse because years ago you could have kind of made the excuse with LeBron when he went to Miami and he said, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. He did that whole special in that show. And there's a lot of people that said he shouldn't have done it. You could say at that time, at least you could say, well, come on. I mean, he was a younger guy. Now, I mean, he's like in his, in his mid to late 30s now at this point. So you really, it's hard to make an excuse for his behavior. Uh, other than he's just, he's an idiot, 
And he's just a bad person, really. Uh, he has no conviction. He has no morals or standards. He kind of just is wishy-washy and goes with the tide, whatever the media wants him to say. He, he goes ahead and he says. So to get away from this topic, I'm going to have a couple quick headlines, really. I have a couple stories, a couple news stories, not not many. Uh, to add to this, the Chicago PD may soon need permission to chase suspects on foot. This is a Bongino.com piece. It's written by Matt Palumbo. So it quotes from the New York Post that states, Police officers in Chicago may soon require permission from a supervisor before pursuing a suspect on foot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot said. Lightfoot promised to disclose details soon about a police policy change. No one should die as a result of a foot chase, the mayor said. Police methods have faced new scrutiny recently following the release last week of video footage from the March 29th police shooting death of 13-year-old Adam Toledo. The case has sparked new debate on police use of deadly force. So Matt Palumbo, he goes on to kind of explain this a little bit. He goes, uh, basing public policy on extremely rare incidences is simply bad policy. And the hysteria driving these bad policies have been exacerbated by the media. And that's a very good point that he makes, and that's generally what we do in our society when it comes to any type of gun violence. Then there's a big gun, uh, there's a big gun control debate that has to ensue because of one isolated scenario. You now need to make a broad change to apply to everybody, and this is the same as it has worked with COVID nineteen as well. You needed to overhaul the entire system, shut everybody down, make everybody wear masks, do everything this specific way as per the CDC guidelines. That there can't there has to be a one size fits all answer and that's just kind of part and it's a product of having this centralized government structure that we currently have and having that as the idea and the driving philosophy behind how government should work that it should all come from the top down. I think that's kind of the problem. So he goes on to talk about how national coverage is really only gets these scenarios that are these fringe cases and these very rare incidences. And because the national media gets it and they go ahead and forward with the story, everybody automatically thinks that there has to be some sort of national political response. So he says, we can see this when it comes to gun control, regular gang shootings that contribute to over 10,000 Gun, uh, annual gun homicides get no coverage, but rare mass shootings that usually have a combined annual death toll below 50 lead to mass calls for gun control. So that is really just how the case works. And another example of this, he actually goes on to state this as well, that this narrative that police are racist inherently and that the police are just going around murdering black people, he says it's categorically is false, factually. And he said in 2000, and I think it's unarmed black men, police killings of unarmed black men totaled to 18 uh, last year, and it's down 50% since 2015. So it's just not true what they're saying. Yet the media presented these type of police killings as a rising threat and an imminent one to average black person's safety not something that only affected one in every 2.6 million people in that community that year. So that's actually the statistic. It's one in 2.6 million, uh, the chances there. So any police, let's see if he goes on. Oh, he talks a little bit about uh, Columbus, Ohio, but I'm not really going to go over that. So 
Additionally, what we have is now we're going to get to kind of some of this, some of my economics portion of the show, because we're kind of running near the end. That took a large portion up of the show. There's really not that much news out there. The news cycle's kind of not really coming out. But uh, so Democrat welfare program causing hiring crisis. And this is insane, this, this story here. The Washington Examiner is written by Brad Palumbo. So you have a McDonald's franchise in Florida is so desperate for workers that they started offering people $50 just to show up for an interview. And it's still not enough to even get applicants in the door. Uh, the reason for this, you ask, it's part of this, this ultra generous uh, unemployment benefits program perpetuated by the by President Joe Biden and his $1.9 trillion plus coronavirus legislation. And the owner of the McDonald's says, or yes, he says, is tr- it's truly creating the incentive to not work right now. And how do you blame somebody you can make more money on unemployment than from working, end quote. So that's the case in a couple of these states, especially if the minimum wage is lower. Uh, the fiasco facing this McDonald's isn't an outlier. It's an acute example of a national trend. Millions of people remain on unemployment benefits while there are 7.4 million job openings and there is no shortage of employers looking to hire. A recent survey found that 40% of small businesses are struggling to fill open positions, some even after increasing wages on offer. So they're increasing wages. of small businesses are having problems finding people to fill the spots and fill the positions. We have 7.4 million job openings, which I think is actually higher than the unemployment right now. So there's jobs out there for everybody, but no one's taking the job because they're sitting at home and collecting a paycheck from the government because we pushed this this COVID-19 policy to be able to allow that up until I think September of this year. So under the status quo, the federal government is supplementing existing state level benefits with an extra $300 per week until September. This means that nearly 40% of workers can earn more from staying on the welfare rolls than from returning to work. Many others can earn 70%, 80%, or 90% of what they were making. Now, I don't necessarily know um, if you are a contract employee, if you drive Uber or something like that, if you, you could still collect unemployment. I don't know about that specifically. You may still be able to, to get some sort of partial unemployment, but there's probably a lot of people right now that are just working under the tables and getting their unemployment. Cause I've known people that have done this and in doing so you actually are making more money than you are. If you are working legally on the books as full time. And in this case, you're actually making more being on unemployment than working right now. So in, and he states the example of Massachusetts, he says one can earn up to $1,100 a week on unemployment benefits under the current system. That's far more than the $600 a week one would make working a $15 hour job. Is it any wonder so many employers are struggling to hire? One of the most basic le- lessons of economics is that human behavior responds to incentives. We know that when the government places a tax on cigarette sales, for example, people smoke less. Similarly, when the government subsidizes higher education, more people will go to college. So in this case, we are incentivizing people to stay home through government policy. And the the statistic of Massachusetts being able to earn up to $1,100 a week on unemployment is just unbelievable. Because that's, a, I mean, that's an insane amount of money to be making on unemployment just sitting at home. So we're incentivizing people through this system to stay at home. So some argue 
that it's not really the benefits causing this hiring crisis, but workers' fear of COVID-19, so he debunks that theory. This might have been somewhat true last spring or summer, but the labor shortage is most acute in fields such as the restaurant industry where workers were prioritized for vaccination months ago. So these people have already been vaccinated if they were in the uh, food industry. And that's really where they're seeing this this huge issue. I think it's partially, too, because a lot of these... Uh, if you're a waiter, waitress, or a bartender, you're probably not getting as much in tips. So you're just, at that point, you're like, what's the point in me hanging around here? I'm actually making less than I would be if I was on unemployment. So really, they're prioritizing the idea of, okay, if you don't want to work, you can stay at home. Those people are prioritized amongst everybody among everybody else that's actually working. And that is the incentive-based structure. So it's the money. Uh, and then at the very end, he, he goes on to state, he talks about liberal economists such as former Obama advisor Jason Furman has even conceded that the ultra-generous welfare subsidy can't continue. And it's time that the Democrats should listen to it. They should have never even passed it through legislation to begin with up until September. It's The idea is just ridiculous. This this I have a lot of friends, I have a lot of family members that feel the same way. And they're not even political. They're not on the left or the right, really. Or a lot of them actually are on the far left. And they're, they're just done with this whole thing. They're done with staying at home. They're done with putting masks on, wearing masks everywhere you go. And this is probably maybe me just speaking from personal anecdotal experience because I live in New Jersey. If you're a listener over in Florida, you've probably have been living your life pretty much the same for the last year or so. They're, the, people are just sick of this whole thing. They're just done with the government interference in their lives and their personal lives. And I think this will actually play out to benefit, um, I guess, freedom-minded principles. I don't want to say the Republican Party because they're not the freest party of them all. But it will definitely benefit people in the idea of government overreach in their lives, for sure. I know a lot of people are having problems with that. If you're a small business owner and you were never really political, you have been forced to become political really. And the saying is, has always been, uh, if you don't get involved in politics, it gets involved with you. And that's really what a lot of people now are experiencing. So to go on, I have this, this next article about AOC. This is her praising Biden's progressive agenda. I'm trying to find the, uh, she pretty much gives him the seal of approval, saying that he's been doing a very good job. She thought he was going to be... It's written by uh, Carl Campanelli. I feel like I've heard that name before. Car, yeah, Carl Campanelli. And she st it states, Ocasio-Cortez gave Biden her leftist seal of approval, largely based on his action in pushing through the $1.9 trillion COVID-19 stimulus package known as the American Rescue Plan. She said his willingness to show flexibility in negotiations has been very impressive and led to the passage of progressive legislation. It's been good so far, the congresswoman said. So then she kind of goes on in this piece talking a little bit about this new infrastructure deal and she's kind of complaining, oh, we want more money in our infrastructure, what have you. But she's kind of okay with it right now. So we're, we're starting to notice that policy has been driven now by the far left progressive wing of the party and it is very troubling indeed when they're praising and they're applauding biden for their moves so far in the administration and once again i don't really think biden's running the show i just think that biden is kind of a puppet for their policies so another policy that was pushed recently in this uh in this what is it the the infrastructure bill they're talking about a raising in the infrastructure bill. 
something that has nothing to do with infrastructure is a raising of the capital gains tax to try to attempt to help and pay for the infrastructure bill. And so Biden came out recently, came out, I think it was on Thursday. Oh, yes. Okay. So I have this article here, financeyahoo.com. Trying to find the author. The author is Subin Abdullah. And I don't know if that's a guy or a girl, but they talk about how the crypto market has actually pulled back extraordinarily sharply, as well as the stock market when Biden said that he was going to come out and raise capital gains tax for the wealthy. So Bloomberg reported on Thursday that Biden is considering nearly doubling to ta uh, doubling tax to as high as 39.6%, an increase from the current 20%. Cryptocurrency investors face higher taxes if Biden presses ahead. So he's talking about increasing that, and then he was talking about the capital gains tax as well, increasing it to a tax of, I don't know if it's specifically 39.6% uh, for anybody that makes over a million a year, but I think for crypto in particular, I think he was saying 39.6%. Because then I have some statistics on Bitcoin. Bitcoin crashed 10% uh, to 49,000. And I think before that, it was around 56 or 57,000. And Ethereum slumped 11%. It was at 2600 uh, $2, and it dropped to 2200 on Thursday. And then Dogecoin as well, that, that meme coin that they have. Uh, it continued a downward spiral. That one's kind of up and down, so that one kind of makes sense a little bit. And then XRP as well has plummeted 20%. So really what we're looking at, if you're not familiar with crypto, it's kind of like capital gains. It's similar in a way, somewhat to the stock market, if I had to explain it in rudimentary terms. So the Biden administration, this is Neil Wilson, chief market analyst at markets.com. He states, and I quote, the Biden administration is looking to raise the top marginal income tax rate to 39.6% from 37%, whilst also doubling capital gains tax to 39.6% for people earning more than $1 million. Tax the rich, hand it out to the poor, sounds like furlough, but on a permanent basis. So what we're talking about here is usually the federal tax on your capital gains, especially if it's something that's long term, usually will range around 20%. Okay no matter what your tax bracket is. What he wants to do is he wants to now make that coincide with your tax bracket. So if you're somebody that's in a higher tax bracket, you're going to be paying 39.6% because he also wants to raise the highest tax bracket too to 39.6% from 37%. So this is what caused a massive dip in the market on Thursday um, as, as well in the crypto market. In the crypto market, there's some weird stuff going on in China. One of these uh, Bitcoin mining facilities apparently exploded or something. And that caused another massive sell-off because hash rates and, and all the computing power that's behind Bitcoin was kind of um, was shut down for a while or neutralized to an extent. Not, you know, 100%, but maybe, you know, 20%. So last weekend, Bitcoin experienced a similar massive sell-off, shedding almost 15% in 24 hours. The biggest intra-drop since February, the drop appeared to coincide with reports that the U.S. Treasury is planning to tackle financial institutions for money laundering carried out through digital assets. So you ask, I mean, I, I, I do report a little bit of uh, cryptocurrency and stocks as well and economic stuff. So you say, where does this actually fit in in economics? This is millionaires. This is people. Oh, it doesn't relate to me. That's what people will say. When you go and you buy in on a stock and then you hold a stock for so long and you decide to sell the stock. Other people that are buying are the ones that are buying your, your your stock that you're selling, right? 
So once they increase the capital gains tax to a point where no one will invest anymore, so there will be no demand for your stock, it will drive your stock personally down having higher capital gains tax because those guys, even if you want the guys at the top to have higher capital gains tax, they're not going to buy into a market where they're going to be paying 40% of whatever their gains are. So that thus, and then since they're big money, they're the big investors, that will drive the price of all of the stocks down. No stock will be going up in that case. Everything, the demand will not be there for the stock to go up. It's a supply and demand. To an extent, it's a supply and demand system, the same way it is with cryptocurrency as well. So this affects you on a, on a modern day, regular person basis. If you have a 401k, if you have a pension fund, if you have stocks, this is another, and I've been saying this to a lot of friends that are investors, a lot of friends of mine, we're middle class people, we're not super rich, we don't have great jobs, we make pretty decent money, not amazing money for the area in New Jersey, we make our right money because it's so expensive to live here and the property taxes, a lot of us, you know, um, have some trouble paying bills, right? This system that they've set up in New Jersey, or it's really for you to fail, they are creating and this is in a general sense in the federal government as well now by raising these these rates, they want to create less of an ability to move upward and upward mobility in terms of your financial status. They want to create like a further of a caste system, a permanent underclass, if you will. And by doing this, by raising these, these taxes on capital gains, that only further incentivizes them to do that. Uh, if you are somebody that only makes, let's say, $40,000 a year, but you have a savings, you have a $10,000 um, or a $20,000 savings, and you say, you know what, I'm going to take half that money, I'm going to take 10000 of it, I'm going to put it in a company that I trust and I think is a secure company, I'm going to put it in Amazon. And Amazon, over the years, they see it over the, you know, let's say a five-year period, they see a 500% increase. So now your $10,000 has increased... 500% making it $60,000. Okay, so you now have you have made yourself some money that you can whether you want to put it in a fund for your kid to go to college, whatever you want to do with it. But this is a way for the the little guy, especially now with the accessibility and the exposure of the markets, whether it's Coinbase, whether it's Robinhood or you're on Fidelity, the idea that you can go online, buy and sell cryptocurrencies and other assets and um stock market assets as well the fact that you can do that that makes it more feasible for you to move up and down the income scale that helps you get out of whatever situation you are in what they're trying to do now is they're trying to create create a permanent underclass in society where they make it very difficult for you to make more money if if me personally uh, if I made, you know, $15,000 off the stock market, I add that to my income. At the end of the year, you make an extra $15,000 on your income and it makes the job that you're working not so bad or your living that you're making not as bad. It makes your bills not as bad. Maybe you can help. Maybe it helps pay um, rent for a month or it helps or a couple months or it helps pay the mortgage off or other bills. In this case, they don't want you to do that. They don't want you to be successful in that way. You're just going to have to work your job, and that's it for you. You're going to have to work whatever job. And once again, like I said, upward mobility. So in the market, the market doesn't really discriminate. The market, the crypto market, and the stock market, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't say, oh, you, you're not allowed in because you don't have a bachelor's degree in finance. You're not allowed in because you don't have a bachelor's degree in this or that. You don't have this much money. You don't have that much money. You can get into the system no matter what. There is nothing stopping you 
or there's no bars to stop you from investing. And in this case, what they're doing is they're making it harder for you to invest. And that's what they want to do. They want to make it more difficult for you and they want you to have less gains and give them more money so you are more reliant on them, the government themselves. And it's probably, it's, very, it's just such a disappointing uh, thing. And the fact that people can't, get, like everyone should be able to get behind the idea of whatever you make in your investments should be taxed at the like i mean me personally i think i think investment money like that shouldn't be taxed at all it's already been taxed when you uh when you received your money in your paycheck and then you go and invest that and now it gets taxed the second time it doesn't really make any sense so to end here i have a couple quick headlines i have first off i have this this photo of uh joe biden looking pretty pathetic at the international summit we have him wearing a mask, and he's on a video Zoom conference with all the world leaders across the country. You have Putin there. You have uh, Jinping from from uh, China. You have, what's her name, Merkel from Germany. What's the other dude's name from uh, Great Britain? Is he there? I actually don't even see him. The British dude. Yeah, I can't remember his name. So we have all these these big world leaders, and Biden's the only one sitting there wearing a mask looking pathetic. So that's good. And... Uh, Next, I have Rumble, massive growth. Rumble, where you, maybe you're watching my video right now, this is a just the news piece. They have seen some massive growth. Apparently, people are flocking to a free speech-like platform like Rumble. Unlike YouTube, that will shut down your content. They'll take it down. They'll give you strikes. They'll demonetize you, and they will kick you off the platform. So we have a lot of people moving over to Rumble, which is a good thing. So that means people are hungry for the liberty, for the freedom to speak, um, and really say whatever you want. Additionally, next I have Venezuela's last independent newspaper on the verge of extinction. This is a uh, Foundation of Economic Freedom article. This one's kind of interesting. Supreme Court ruling, I guess, coming down from Venezuela made it so this last independent newspaper, that obviously since it's independent of the government, it's not a friend of the government, they made it so they pretty much can no longer succeed anymore, and they're soon probably going to be closing down because all they have is they have the state-run media, state-run newspapers that praise the leader over there. I think his name is Maduro, the authoritarian uh, socialist. So just just keep that in mind, folks. These socialists, this, this is the kind of things that they do once they, they grab power from everybody. The thing that everybody wants to implement here, this is what goes on when it uh, goes full-fledged over in Venezuela. So Oklahoma drivers now have immunity from hitting rioters in streets. This is American military news piece. You had the legislative branch and the governor there put a law together and confirm that Oklahoma drivers, if they they hit rioters in the streets, if the rioters are you know like attacking their car their car and they decide to drive away and and in the process of doing so they hit and kill a rider in the street, now they're they're protected and they're immune from that. Uh, auditing the election in Arizona. That's a Washington Examiner piece. I think they kind of curtailed this process. They were going to do it, but I think there's some sort of an appeals and there's going to be another kind of uh, waiting period for this. But like I said, Washington Examiner piece, they're going to be auditing, and I think it's Maricopa County over in Arizona. And this is something the Republicans have been trying to get done over there for a while now. They're going to be auditing the election. Uh, votes if they can count some of these votes and they see that there was some malfeasance there then that means there has to be a recount throughout the country so this can actually be very uh significant and we'll see what happens i guess i'm gonna have to uh, report it later 
if anything does happen so that's going to be really it for this one i greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in as always uh please like share subscribe let people know about the podcast drop the mic on them and i will see you all on monday thank you it's true.